0: Hey Retention Pros, I'm Noah Rahimzadeh and I lead partnerships here at Malomo. I'm super pumped to continue to chat with ecosystem experts alongside Mariah, who you all already know and love. Say hi, Mariah.
1: Hey everyone. As you probably know, Retention Chronicles likes to bring in some of the best retention focused brands in the Shopify ecosystem.
0: But we don't just feature brands. We also feature some great thought leaders in the Shopify ecosystem that serve brands.
1: And because we always want these conversations to be fun, you'll hear us talk with our guests about what they're excited about and what's helped them get to where they are today.
0: We hope you'll stick around to learn and laugh with us.
1: Retention Chronicles is sponsored by Malomo, a shipment and order tracking platform improving the post-purchase experience. Be sure to subscribe and check out all of our episodes at gomalomo.com.
0: Well, here we go. Welcome back, everyone, to our newest episode of Retention Chronicles. We are super pumped today. I feel like one of the cool kids, Mariah. We have <laughs> I do too. <laughs> Ari Murray. On so do and I <laughs> <Sharma Rams. laughs> uh, and one of the best i I just subscribed recently, like a month ago, but one of the best marketing newsletters for e-commerce uh, overall called Go to Millions. it's It's like one of three that I read every single time it hits my inbox. So thank you for blessing rank. all with, <laughs> yeah. with that, Ari. And thank we are you. super, super pumped to have you. So thanks so much for giving us some time.
2: Well, thanks for having me. And I paid Noah to say that. So I'm glad my money <laughs> went far. Um, but yeah, it means a lot. And uh, thanks for reading.
0: Of course. Yes. Um, I think you're launching a new podcast too, which we might, we might get to. That's super exciting, but a little bit of context on, you know, our relationship. I know Yao and Nick, uh, founder of Sharma Brands go way back. I think Sharma, I think Nick was involved like early days of Malomo and sort of ideation and um, was a great resource for Yao as, as he was launching Malomo. Um, and since then, we've worked together on a ton of brands. I think Ari, you've been personally involved in a few of the implementations of Malomo. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've been able to set up Malomo with a couple of Sharma's in-house brands as well, which is super exciting. And I think a couple in progress right now. So um, that is awesome. We want to get into the weeds on all of that a little bit more. But before we do that, we always like to ask you, our guests, what are one or two things that you're excited about in your personal life before Ooh. we talking show
2: i love that i think i'm most excited um so kind of a newlywed like i got married last year so i've almost been living in austin with my husband for a year so very excited about just our new life here and moving into a new apartment you know that's going to be great. Always so, fun. <laughs> yeah. Just like a move on the books. It's the same building. So I don't think it really counts, but I'll lean into like, it's a whole new energy. So yeah, that's, that's kind of experience. all I need. Yeah. Just a new, a brand new version of the same thing. And then just <laughs> my, my new life in Austin is, is serving me. So that's kind of what I'm doing.
0: Were you, were you in New York before?
2: I was in LA. So oh, I was always in LA. Okay.
0: Okay. And
2: then this is the first four-way, 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 whatever the word is,
0: it's the first time not living in Los Angeles. <laughs> that good. It sounded good. Uh, so what sparked the move to Austin? I love Austin. I've been there a few times and I know it's like everybody and their mom are going there right yeah. now.
1: I need, I like have been told, I'm like, go to Austin. I'm like, maybe it's the next city. Who knows? Yeah. You
2: I, have I to move to here. Um, yeah, so my husband and I each wrote down five cities we would move to, and it's the only place that we both wrote down. So ah, that's the whole okay. story. Wow. We just like decided in like an hour, and then we flew here and got an apartment and never looked
0: back. Wow. Um, that is very cool. So had you had you both been many times before? Yeah. So we
2: well, we had we almost got married here, so we were doing a lot Ooh. of wedding planning. And then we decided we couldn't have a big wedding because it panics me, but we had just like come here a lot and had fun. And so it was the only place that overlapped. I wanted to move to New York or Boston. He wanted to move to Miami and this is way better than that. So we're happy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You kind of meet in the middle there. Yeah. Uh, It's hard to, it's hard to have like the, yeah, Northeast vibes, um, don't necessarily mesh very well with miami vibes (laughs) no
2: and i'll take this over miami any day so i'm good i'm not going to (laughs) complain
0: yeah you 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 did well there uh very cool well hopefully austin's on our on our short list of cities we'd like to do an event in um like a partner event or something like that this year so um we'll certainly keep you posted on that if we make it down please Um, but that's very, very exciting. So uh real quick, like why why the move to a new apartment? Is it just better location, better better
2: view? And then it has just like better stuff in it. So just better of the same version. Like it has like a bathtub in our room. Like it's just cooler.
0: Wow. Oh, that's nice. Did you, uh, did you like look at houses at all? Because I know the housing market there is just. So
2: insane. I have this thing where I like want so many things in life. My wish list is overflowing, and I have no deep desire to like buy a house. So we, mm. we, it's just not on my like list of requests at this time. I can barely handle my apartment. So. <laughs> Slowly but surely, give me like three years to like be an adult.
0: I feel you on that. I bought my house like two years ago, and it is. It was like the biggest shock of all time when I moved in here and I was like, oh my God, I'm not, I am not mature enough for this. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm deaf. I know myself. I, if something breaks, I like, what would I do? You know, I right. mean, I, I'm well, not ready.
0: Well, <laughs> you got to call maintenance.
2: Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> they got to put in a little service request and, yeah.
1: and they'll deal with it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Perfect.
0: I've like, most people don't do this, but I've, when, when I bought my house, it came with a home warranty policy. So like if anything happened in that first year, the home warranty would cover it for a small fee. I've renewed it now through twice. So for three years, because like, I want to be able to put in my maintenance request, if a faucet's leaking, cause I have no idea how to fix that.
1: <laughs> that makes me feel better. Like being in an apartment currently and I'm right. not going to buy a house for a while. Like nope. you know what? <laughs> yeah, I feel okay. that.
0: Um, okay. Awesome. Well, congrats on the new place. Congrats on Austin. That is very awesome. Um, and getting married as well. Um, all right, let's get into, let's get into Sharma. So, um, would love to, I know you have a really interesting background, so I'd love to sort of start there. Like what, uh, what you were doing before Sharma, I think it was a few different things and, and what led you to Sharma and, and sort of what's the day-to-day life like now as head of growth.
2: Yeah. So before Sharma Brands, I had always been brand side and as an e-commerce manager or just on the e-commerce team, some really cool brands helped me to launch them. And I met Nick when I was working at Poosh. He reached out to me and we went on like one Zoom call and he made me get a Twitter on the call. And my first tweet in 2020 was like, Nick Sharma made me do this. And then I didn't open it again for two years. (laughs) Um, But then I was at a brand and Nick posted a role for, I think it was the director of growth and my husband is friends with Nick and a few of the people that I just know have, were good friends with Nick. So I made them all text him in the same second to be like, Ari would kill it as your director. Oh, that's awesome.
1: And that's then amazing. he
2: texted me and was like, Oh, I keep hearing your name. I was like, Oh really? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, I'm I, <laughs> I think I like signed my offer the next day. So it was very quick. Um, and now I've been here for, a little over a year and a half and now I'm VP of growth just managing our clients and making sure that for all of them we make them really really rich so every landing page every ad every launch rolls into that main goal of making them really successful and so I have my hands on all of that and just managing the team and working to kind of act as like the growth arm of Sharma Brands and just that it all comes true for them.
0: Sure. I know you had a ton of growth last year, and I think you're opening a new office in New York. Is that right? Yes,
2: it's almost ready.
0: Exciting. Uh, so how, how many people are on your team, on the growth team?
2: On my team, it, it's kind of hard because I guess the entire team is growth, but I have like a few, like a growth manager, a two account coordinators, and then we and account manager. And so we have 15 people in total at Charma Brands that work on our clients.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I just see like all the time, it looks like people, you know, the team's growing and office is building and yeah. new brands. So a lot going on. Um, do you still do anything with Poosh or are you, are you like friends nah. with that? No. So
2: for all of my past brands, I was always full-time and in-house and then moving just from in-house to in-house. So this is my first like foray into, oh, I learned the word foray. Uh, (laughs) There you go. (laughs) I I do know how to use it. Cool. Um, It's my first like agency side gig where I help like dozens of brands in a year, which is really cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's great. So at Sharma, um, I know, you know, we, we talked a little bit earlier about there are some brands that you've you're working on like in-house, I think owned owned by Sharma, and there are others who you take on in, in like a consulting capacity. I'm curious, mm-hmm. how you, uh, well, I have a few questions about that, but sort of how do you balance that in terms of like workload and, and you know, are you constantly evaluating brands to sort of take ownership of, or is most of the, strategy just to like help other brands grow? Like what's the sort of, what's the dynamic there for Sharma brands?
2: I think the goal is just growth overall. So if that means taking over a brand and making it our own, or if it means bringing on like a really cool client that we can learn something with, I don't think that one takes precedent over the other. And the beauty is the same team works on both. So whatever we can accomplish for our clients, we can then do for our own owned brands and they help each other because we're able via our client industry to see like exactly what's happening across vertical see where the opportunity may be and then with our own brands we're able to experiment with our own money and test our own thing so it makes us better for the client it's a little like baby ecosystem but the right. same team touches both which i think makes us stronger and it right. keeps it fresh
0: yeah. I mean, I think that we see the the value in that even from, you know, our partnership side where uh, oftentimes like for your in-house brands, we're able to like offer some sort of, you know, preferred pricing or something just because we we know how far that goes and like making sure that your brands are successful, but also that it becomes sort of promotion, right? Totally. Uh, it's like the, a, its own
2: session. ecosystem incubator. Yes.
0: Yeah. What like... I'm always curious about this, but what would make you, you know, you and Nick excited about potentially acquiring a brand or like launching something new? Are there specific verticals that you're really excited about? Uh, Like, what are the circumstances that lead you to say, like, let's actually take this on like in in more of an ownership capacity?
2: It really depends. I think I am kind of like the wet blanket of the group where (laughs) there might be like a really cool brand. And then I'm like, cool, like, let's look at the P&L, like the margin, like, I don't like this. I don't like this vertical. It only leaves us like $9 on an order or whatever. And then I I kind of like crush the dream. But um, it's a good balance because Nick has just so many deals that come across his plate.
0: And then he has me to be like,
2: this is a good idea or this is scary. I don't want you to touch this.
0: Sure. Sure. Now, that makes sense. I feel like you, you kind of need the good cop good cop, bad cop in that scenario. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I'm definitely a bad cop and it's it's a good <laughs> I wear it with pride. So it's okay.
0: Yeah. I
1: was going to say like, good for you for knowing and being like, right. no, yeah. like this isn't what we should do. Like, I think that also feeds really well into like being VP of growth. Like you have to, you can't say yes to everything all the time. Right. So like, yeah. how do you make sure that you're making informed decisions? I know myself and I would fall into the category that it seems like Nick is in where it's like so exciting. Like yeah. I would love to do this, but that's not what you can do.
2: Yeah. And it's a good balance. And like the Great news is is everyone on our team has different experience. So some of us have been in agencies our whole career. Some of us have been brand side. So I think being brand side, it teaches me also how scary it is if you live and die by one brand only and how that every brand that comes into our fold has to make sense because otherwise we'll just eventually run into a mountain. So it's like to understand the pressure of a single brand and each brand has to work for it to be worth our time.
1: Are you finding real quick, like those margins where you're, you're looking at a brand and going like, we should pursue this. We shouldn't. Is that like in-house that you're taking that from, or is that from your previous, previous experience on the brand side of things where you're just like, I know this industry, this vertical is not
2: not Uh, the way to go. I think it's both. So in my past, I'd only really been in CPG or in beauty and beauty is just its own beast. And that's what I know most. And then from Mm. CPG, I think you can see all types of different brand sizes and um, it really just depends, but definitely even in our client business, we see what verticals are on fire and where there's room in marketing budgets and just where it makes sense. So brands with um, either like high velocity or high repeat orders. Those are the brands that are really exciting because just the LTV of it all starts to make more sense, but it's also really fun to work on something that's more expensive because it's just a customer that I know well, and that I really love to engage with, but you just have to have the right product to sell to them. So it's its own world, but it's a good balance. And the entire team has like really strong opinions and really good backgrounds for it. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Yeah.
0: In in coming from the brand side, I would imagine that, and now you know, VP of growth at a huge agency that has its has its hands in so many different buckets. Um, growth means so many different things now. I'm curious, like what what was the most challenging thing that like you didn't have the skill set in when you joined Sharma to sort of get really really good at? Because I imagine that you were more a little bit more focused in some of the brands. Yeah. And here it's like, holy cow, we have to do everything. Yeah. So what's I been- think
2: this is like the first client business I've ever been in and like a client-facing role, which it works well because I'm a ham. But <laughs> um I think that I in my previous life have always spent my meetings with my team or uh, like with vendors but never trying to serve a client so that's its own world but I my first job ever af- like after I dropped out of law school was as a e-commerce customer service agent so that's uh, like serving maybe, customers in its own world yeah. but I crushed like over 100 tickets a day so I this is like a cakewalk compared to like an influx of tickets and sure. so that's what I tell myself every time I go into a client meeting that at least it's you know, like a, a relationship with words, and you can actually like talk to them and work with them together. So that yeah. was just the biggest change is like having clients that you owe deliverables to and that you are accountable to versus having just one team that you work with. Right.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Plus, like, you know, if you're just support or if you're just handling like hundreds of tickets a day, it's like all negative stuff that you have the trouble. And now you're like, now you're on the flip side of like bringing exciting, actively yeah. exciting yes. things, solutions, not like, hey, what the hell is going on? Where is yeah. my order? You Where know? is
2: my order? I don't like the way this tastes. All of that. <laughs> I, I don't need, so it's all just, it's all uh, a cakewalk comparatively.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Um, okay. So between you and Nick and I'm sure others on the team, but we're most familiar with you two. Um, like I said, you have the go to millions newsletter, super popular, um, uh, very active on Twitter too, which Mariah probably knows a little bit more about than me. Cause I still haven't created a new Twitter since deleting my college age.
2: Twitter. I am happy for you. Don't, <laughs> don't come to this side.
0: <laughs> um, but and then obviously Nick's following as well is is equally humongous. Um, so I'm curious, you know, that's one thing. But getting to that point is something totally different. And I think what what hopefully or what most likely has helped you get there is because Sharma Brands does have a little bit of a unique approach compared to other agencies and and um, you know agency brands in the Shopify ecosystem. In your in your sort of opinion, what do you think makes Sharma Brands stick out from the pack? You know, there's like a new twenty agent twenty new agencies entering the Shopify ecosystem every day. It seems like so. How have you been able to sort of cut out like uh, a good following? Yeah, uh, and also was, yeah. results results speak for themselves too. And I know you all produce those. So what yeah. makes The
2: beauty of it is, is we are never going to be an agency that scales up and loses its sort of level of service or the quality of the people who work here, because that's not the model. So this isn't a come one, come all Sharma brands can help your brand. It's like, there's a waiting list and there's a full like, ICP of who our client should be and we only work with that client and it's not because we don't have interest in other verticals or brands of other sizes it's more that we don't want to scale the team to the point where we lose the the heart of why this is a special place to be and why it's a special place to have work for you because if our agency loses like the hands that touch these brands or if we get to busy or if we have to bring in too many people in one year, then we won't have the same caliber. So it's just a like shower brands isn't competing for the work. The work is coming. And then we just assess if we can take it on with the right team and do a good job for the client. So it's it's definitely its own little like slice of heaven in that way where we're not like pitching our asses off for clients.
0: Yeah. It sounds like there's some like employee satisfaction mixed in there. Do you totally yeah because the
2: team has been this so when I came on I was employee four and now we're at 15 and even that each Um, new hire is like a really big deal to us and we like basically only will bring in a new teammate if we like are positive that a they like are the perfect fit for like the skill set but it's actually like its own little friend group in its own way so You have to like not ruin the energy of the agency because we just don't want to be this like 600 person agency where there's all these weird dynamics. It has to be like a group that enjoys each other because when we have fun, then the work is cool and then the clients are happy. And if someone comes in and they're an asshole, it it ruins the whole vibe. So it has to be really careful as we scale up. And I don't think the plan is to become huge ever.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because the the podcast that we, the episode that we just released today, Mariah, I was listening to at lunch and we talked about how like at a certain point in some of the past companies I've been at, because I was on like the enterprise MarTech side, mm-hmm. uh, at a certain point, the red tape becomes so frustrating because you've had to put all these standard processes in place that like don't account for the human aspect of like working with in certain situations or under cer- certain circumstances, everything takes so long to get done. Right. And it sounds like you're intentionally trying to stay below that level for the need for the red tape. So that A thousand can-
2: percent. Like our clients like have our phone numbers and we right. will text with them and have, like on launch day, we're waking up at four in the morning with them, and like on the phone celebrating with them. And if it ever loses that, then we're not better than any other agency because right. we don't know how to have an agency of four hundred people. We only know how to do this, so we have to keep it what it is, so it stays as it should
0: be. Yeah, that's awesome. That is definitely a unique approach. I think a lot of the the agencies in the space are just like grow at all costs and you know take on any work that they can. Um, And then obviously there are some downsides to that. So
2: Totally. It depends on also like the scale of the client. Some clients, they just need maybe one or two things or they need um, like something that is like a good deal or whatever it might be. But this is more like a long-term, like full takeover situation.
0: Yeah. I'm happy you went there because that that was actually going to be my next question, Uh, kind of looping these Two together. What is the what is the ICP? You talked a little bit about it earlier. And then what does a typical engagement look like from like start to finish for sure? Yeah.
2: So ICP definitely is a brand that either has a big audience that's waiting for this product. Let's say it's a creator brand that is stealth pre-launch. That's perfect. That okay. is what we do best. That's really our team's specialty is to take a brand, build the entire website, design it handle the does bring bring in all agencies, set the brand up for launch, and then help it to scale. That's that's the bread and butter. And then the other side is the growth stage companies that are doing like eight figures and they have a specific problem and they could use a partner to help them get to nine figures or that can help them to fix part of their funnel or something has either gone wrong or there's just room to scale that hasn't been realized. That's also a great sweet spot. And for that client, it might be just taking over, redoing their tech stack, introducing them to the right people, building landing pages, building ads, redoing parts of their website, and just like optimizing the entire experience. Um, That's the other client, but there's really nothing in between those two. You're either going to be a big brand that's about to launch or you're a big brand that needs some help. And those are both perfect for us.
0: Got it. Uh, In terms of vertical, um, would you say that there are any that sort of stick out or anything? No, we
2: do. We've in the last year done CBG, beauty, alcohol. We've done apparel. We've done like luggage. It really, it doesn't matter as long as they are like hungry to grow
0: got it and then when you're uh, especially on the pre-launch side but i guess the the question can apply to both um you're doing a lot of what you kind of talked about was a lot of webs web dev and um and like acquisition side so where does the retention component come in are you doing email sms and all that stuff too and yeah so we don't
2: It depends. So we will typically, each client we bring on, if they're already existing, we'll do a full audit of their CRM and see this is the experience, these are the opportunities. But then what we'll do is bring in our favorite email partner, bring in our favorite SMS agency, bring in the right tech behind it, and then help to synchronize what's happening in retention with what's happening on the site, what's happening on paid acquisition, and make it all sync together. But we don't actually um, offer email and SMS as a core service. It's more, we'll bring you to the right people and then help to manage that with you.
0: Got it. Okay. Makes some, Makes total sense.
2: Because we keep control of all of the agencies that we help bring on. So we sit in those same meetings mm. with the client. And oh, cool! it's really important to us that if we introduce you to someone that we still help to manage that. Relationship just because we might know what's happening on paid more than the client might know, so we bring everyone together, and then we bring in our favorite partners, and we help to make it sing as a group.
0: Yeah, yeah. One of our our previous guests and partners of ours does kind of both acquisition and retention, and their argument for why they do that is because they're like, if you if you don't sort of coordinate or orchestrate those efforts across both sides of the funnel, like you're you're, you're probably going to be only measuring, like you're, you're going to be measuring metrics in like a single sort of like tunnel vision uh, manner. And then like, you don't realize like, while you've beefed up ad spend and that's looking really, really good. Like you might not realize the effects it's having on the other side, on the retention side. And like, um, with that, but, but in your case, while you're not doing that, you're at least you, you're always at the table. So you can kind of, Exactly. do that without needing to own it fully. Is right. that fair we,
2: we act as like pretending we're the in-house growth team. So sure. pretending that I'm in a meeting with the media buyers as if it was my own budget I had to live mm-hmm. and die by and be metriced on. And that's how the entire team sits in these meetings. We pretend like it's our money and our brand and the only brand we ever think of. And mm-hmm. then it helps you to be like passionate about what happens as a result. And then even if you, if you only focus on the paid side or, you know, the top line metrics of this is our CAC or whatever, what if that's like a bad customer that isn't a fit that churns out and why wouldn't that be something that we think through too? Cause what does that actually do to benefit the brand? It's like, you have to see both sides of the numbers to know the truth. And then if both sides look good, then you've actually done a good job.
0: Sure. Sure. Yep. That's awesome. Are
2: you, I have a quick question for you. So I know
1: this popped into my mind because as we were talking about like the internal structure of Sharma with like not growing too fast or like knowing what you do really well. And now we're talking about the brand side of things and like your ICP. And do you think there's ever the same argument to be made about like a brand where they could grow too fast, too quickly for like what they're trying to accomplish? Cause I know you're working with, you said like either large brands about to launch or already large brands, brands you want to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. So how do you like, do you think there's something similar in there of what you've seen with Sharma at all?
2: I think it's a great point. And I think that sometimes a brand will scale because of the circumstances of their product. So maybe it's like, I don't know, a sweatpants brand during COVID. Like that's a great place to be. And right. you're definitely not prepared in like the inventory snags and all of those sort of beautiful headaches that arise with success. I think we see that play out all the time too and that's a beautiful problem to solve and what's good too about our team is we we have operations managers and people on our team like I used to be an e-commerce manager who used to sit and manage our 3PL all day too. So there's people on our team that have deep experience there and we have those relationships to help in those pinches, even if it's not our core service, but internally for us too, we, we have this happen too where we'll have maybe a fleet of 10 clients that we work on. And then one of them will, instead of needing seven landing pages that month, maybe they actually need 40 or 30 Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful experience as an agency with like revenue goals, but it's also really scary with real people and real designers and, you know, like the quality of work has to stay and so we have also had to hire really quickly sometimes and the beauty of it too is we are all just living and breathing this space so it's normally hiring a friend that we know or someone who is coming to us so it's a bit safer to move more quickly but we still It does happen. So, I guess it's all meant to be slow and it's all meant to be this beautiful plan. And the reality is sometimes it just has to move more quickly, but it's like the same growing pains and it's better than if, you know, we were overstaffed and if our clients had too much inventory. So, we'll take it.
1: Right. Yeah. Good problem to have. I know we felt it on our side of things too, where it's like, it's really exciting when you get that kind of momentum and you're like, okay, we got to go, like, got to publish whatever this is. But it also can be like, once it's done, you're like, whoa. That was a lot. And now that we're, we're on to the next thing. And right? we asked yeah. a
2: lot of people. And then, like, <laughs> what can we do to better plan? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. 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 It's or- a living, breathing, like dynamic organism. I feel
0: like 100%. Yeah. Like in my world, the translation is making sure that we have the agency partner bench of, you know, service partners that can help us if we get an influx of 20 new customers in a week and they all want support in setting up Malomo, Like, it's a very real problem, good problem to have. Yeah, but champagne problem. Be, it can be an issue if you don't have that uh sort of you know planned out in terms of how you would support that. So um good problems to have. I'm happy we're experiencing them, but and also part happy that we're partnered on it too. Same. So. <laughs> um okay, switching focus a little bit to retention. Uh, You guys are super focused on the growth side, Um, but as we all know, like acquisition costs going up in in crazy ways and like the focus on responsible growth uh, is sort of ever increasing both for SaaS companies like us, but also... D to C brands. So uh, intentionally open and sort of vague question, um, how do you think about retention and what are sort of like the most important drivers of it that uh, you you see and, and work with brands on?
2: I think for us, we like to just make sure we've set the stage to the customer so they understand what's going to happen before they've given us a penny. And okay. so we do that by over-educating on our landing pages, by not having those weird, like, sneaky offers, or we never default to subscription when you come in to buy it for the first time. We just don't like to play that sort of cheap direct response game because we'd rather lose $2 in the beginning and make that up by having someone have had the experience you said you were going to give them. So we don't do pre-order. We don't do, like you know, any sort of tricky offers ever, it's against everything we've learned just from the scars of having tried that before. So it's just setting the right stage in the beginning. And then in our web design and in all of our creative and all of our offers, it's just making clear, this is the brand you want to be a part of. This is not a product you buy, but a community you join. And then following up on that. So if let's say they come in and the first order is for you know, like a $50 AOV, maybe mm-hmm. we sneak like a handwritten note or a special, a pair of socks or something that you didn't expect in that first order to get them to come back and then just controlling the whole narrative so that they know that whatever they just bought is just the beginning of their experience with the brand. And we, I personally love an acquisition offer that isn't like going to fulfill every single need. Cause I don't think it should be uh, too expensive at the beginning. I think you should let someone get their feet wet and come and have a positive experience with your best product and then bring them into the fold and let them explore from there. But I don't like to sell you know a seven item bundle. Sure. in the first minute always. I don't think that that's always the move. So it's just like wetting the, the customer's appetite and then giving them more than they expect and then just coming at them in a non-aggressive but like very informational heavy way for the rest of their journey.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love the approach to education. I think uh, a use case that like we probably don't talk enough about at Malomo is, and it was like one of the first use cases to be honest, mm-hmm. as when we when Yao and Anthony started the company. Really, their entire goal was to just reduce customer churn post purchase. Like those customers won't come back after just one bad order tracking or order experience, shipping experience. So, like the first goal was just like, let's keep these. That was before we realized like this could be an actual revenue driving channel that brands are losing or leaving, you know, six, seven figures on the table if they're not you know upselling and cross selling through through the post purchase journey but that kind of all came later and one of the initial use cases that some brands still use as their hero use case with Malamo today is simply product education so for a brand like Caraway uh, who makes really nice but on the more expensive side pots and pans um they they realized that like they would get complaints and try to uh, customers would try to return pans that were like ruined because they weren't cared for properly and mm-hmm. like you shouldn't put Caraway pans in a dishwasher but people were doing that and the pans weren't lasting but they had spent a couple hundred dollars so they're now they're pissed cuz so now Caraway's main use case on a Malomo page is just like here's how to care for the pan and get the most out of it um when it arrives and like that alone is such a great retention driver because it means that their customers are getting more bang for their buck. They're getting more out of the product. And now they're more likely to come back and buy, you know, the other accessories that Caraway makes for the kitchen.
2: I love that. And I think too, even just clicking the link to your tracking and landing, and it's a branded experience, even if there's nothing more than it's colors, I'm just like, Oh, cool. Like they care. Like, this is cute. This is like, I'm glad I've I brought, I bought this brand. Like, I think it's going to be a good product because they pay attention to detail. Even if it's nothing past that, I still think that that in itself is a good look. And even if that was the only function for the cost, it does like pay for itself just for that positive experience when someone's checking their order and it's not like a USPS page that no one wants to see.
0: Yeah. I've been talking about that so much lately. Like you don't have to overthink this just by bringing customers back to your website who go to track their order. You are recapturing 15% of your web traffic, like right. 15% of all web traffic on e-commerce sites goes to the order tracking page. So if you're sending them to UPS, you're literally just losing 15% of your web traffic. So could not agree more with that, Ari.
1: I have a quick question about, um, like Ari, you said there's certain like moves or like a playbook that you all follow and like doing things like bundling and um trying to get like pre-order tickets before a launch. Can you like explain a little bit more about the pre-order? It's like a smaller question, but I feel like we don't normally have brands or guests on this podcast where it's like they're dealing with pre-launched brands. So I'm just curious, like, yeah, why is that maybe something that you don't personally like or that um you all don't go like don't go down that route with
2: yeah so pre-launch is really fun because often at least in my experience here and just in my experience in my past you aren't known to anyone like when I worked for about face beauty we were so stealth to the point that, that our email addresses when we were working with our partners it was the holding company's name wow. and no one knew the celebrity no one knew even the vertical and each partner was just told the information they needed our packaging on the outside of the cardboard box was labeled without the brand name just because like you just you just have this launch moment and you can only have that once and you have to come onto the earth once and so when you are stealth like that there's just such a pressure to of testing the entire experience. And for me, if there's going to be this launch moment of momentum of this is us, like hello world, I'd love for that person to then be able to pay right then and to buy their thing and to get it in three days so that they can tell someone else it's actually good. And so when you start taking people's money and you don't ship out for weeks or you, let's say even if you're a known brand, who's going out of stock on a hero skew, unless you're shipping in the next week, I want like a pre-order button or a, i'd rather a notify me button because i don't like to hold people's money and not give them the thing that they need because people get really pissed <laughs> and i get right. really pissed and i have an example personally where i ordered a treadmill in august and it didn't say it was out of stock it didn't say that it was shipping late no i literally sent a screenshot of it to my husband because i was like can i get this so that's the reason i have <laughs> like the proof that it didn't say it like i'm not crazy <laughs> and it's coming this week and it's february and oh my I, God. Am pissed. I am pissed and I, yeah, they gave me like a hundred dollars back, blah, blah, blah. But I'm really pissed and I would have canceled my order, but I really want this treadmill. <laughs> and it's this whole thing where I don't need that. Cause guess what? I'm never buying it again. I'm never recommending it. I have like talked shit about it to everyone I've ever met. And I don't think as a brand who's coming like into the earth, you need any of that pressure. So for me, unless it's either in warehouse received or in a pallet waiting to be received, I don't want it for sale. And that's how I live and breathe. And that's how we advise our clients live and breathe because the payoff is not worth it. And even if someone knows they're going to wait, what if you have to wait two more weeks? Then you've like lied and you don't need that. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know where the product is and if it's not in your hands, you don't actually know the timeline. So it's a very passionate opinion that I don't want to be a part of anything that is, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars in our books that we have sold and not one client has received it. I don't need to sleep like that. I don't like. to <laughs>
1: Yeah, You probably wouldn't be sleeping. And like maybe it's the you're...
2: old like customer service in me, but like, I don't, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. It really like game, freaks me out.
1: Yeah. That game seems very finicky to play and like not having any experience in that um, industry at all of like pre-launch, but it seems like too, like, unless you you don't know pre-launch of like what it's going to even take on the like logistical side of things like right. you could have a huge influx of people right and then think that you're going to ship something out like yeah. next week like you're saying and then you yeah. you, you know it's a successful launch and right. you have way more momentum going into it so that that makes a lot of sense i also think it's really cool um to have that opinion of if you're like in this stealth mode you're trying to like you're going to like every possible length that you can to keep it a secret. I think generating all the, that momentum and someone being able to like, while they're the most excited, click on that buy button and buy right then, and then know what's on its way rather than a pre-order and having to wait for it. It also, and this taps into like Malomo, our expertise of it. Malomo, it like continuously keeps exciting someone because they're, they're getting reminded that they're, that their gift or their product is on the way. Right. Mm-hmm. But if something's in pre-order, then you could lose some of that excitement. And then that might feel like what that excitement might translate into is like buyer's remorse or right. like guilt around buying. Cause you're like, why, did, why was I so excited about this thing? Cause you already know about it now. Right. Um, and say it's like two months have passed or right. like you said, from August to February. Right. Um, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense with the just what we see with Malomo, where it's like a week goes by or like a couple of days, right? And it's like still like, oh my God. And none of those experiences
2: like Malomo and all of your welcome flows, all of your post-purchase flows, none of those are built for you know, 19 days between order and ship. (laughs) None (laughs) of them are built for 19 days. Actually, it's 42, but we got to tell them on day 18. Like nothing is set up like that because that's a terrible experience. So none of your partners, none of your software are best optimized when you have that experience. And the only reason a brand would jump the gun and do a pre-order is because they need the cash, which is short-sighted because Um, you're going to oversell or you're going to sell and then you're going to have to return a lot of that money or no matter what, that customer is never coming back, even if you can somehow get them to hang on. And it's just, you need to do everything in your power to have enough runway for those like little receiving errors or fulfillment errors or whatever it's going to be that could push you back it's not an excuse to jump the gun and launch something that's not ready right in my opinion
0: right oh that's really interesting on the on the pre-launch side obviously you're like protecting the the brand identity and all of that but do brands like or have you seen brands do you advise the brands do any sort of like testing pre-launch to get like market validation and drum up some excitement about this new thing or is it like is stealth stealth and you don't even you do nothing until the brand's actually launched?
2: So that's such a good question. In the brands I've touched, it's normally like our lips are sealed. This product is great. We've, you know, ship tested it. We've gone and, you know, maybe sent it to 200 friends or whatever, but there's no like soft launch into the market. But in a brand that we're working on internally, we are soft launching and we're not putting our name on it. And we are fully letting the market dictate, you know, what this will end up looking like. And once it starts to scale is when eventually maybe we'll claim it, maybe not. But we, I think there's a great beauty in soft launching when you can, if you don't have the pressure of VCs and, right. you know, maybe like celebrity clients who might like, if they launch something, there's no such thing as a soft launch because <laughs> Twitter will find out or <laughs> YouTube or whoever it might be. But I think if it's my perfect world, I'd rather bring something to market test how I, what do you even name it? Like what I, what colorways? what price, what demographic I show it to, whatever it is, I would rather, and I think you'll have a better result if you can do that. But we have been blessed with the golden handcuffs of just like (laughs) a ton of traffic on launch day, which is, it's really fun. And it's also like, it makes you want to throw up because you're like, (laughs) we haven't tested the system. We just took the password off. This happened to us last week where like the brand announced via like a really important news article, at 9 a.m. Eastern. So at 8 57, we took the password off and like, mm-hmm. it's stressful. Cause like, what if, what if it's just, we forgot one thing or what if, you know, and then the second it is born, there's like 30,000 visitors, right? <laughs> so it's just, it's just a different feeling. It, it makes you sick, but then it's really cool when it works. I, I bet stick. those,
1: I bet those three minutes, like taking out the password and just waiting, are like the longest minutes of your life. (laughs)
2: It's not only that, it's like there's always a time when it's like a very stealth brand where somehow a part of it like becomes more public than it was meant to be. And -hmm. then you look at your team, you're like, did anyone say anything? Like, who did you email? And then we realize they like look at like the patent that was filed and it's no one's fault. You're like, okay, we're good. Like it's not us, no problem. So there's just all those little moments that lead up to a launch. But then when it does go well, it's like heaven.
0: Yeah. 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 Oh, that's awesome. Well, congrats last week. New one launched. Uh, yeah. Thank you I so Now our uh, head of strategy who I've clearly had drinks with before was like, no, she was like, "Noah's already got the uh, pre-made espresso martini on the way. I yeah. <laughs>
2: love it. I <laughs> love it. <laughs> Recommend. That's the one yeah. that's shipping to me right now. Recommend.
0: Awesome. That's awesome. Yes. We'll definitely have to check it out. Um, Okay, just a few minutes left. I I would be remiss not to ask you about uh, 2023 trends. So uh, last year, I, I kind of talked about one, which is like uh, kind of a shift from Acquisition to retention being a bigger thing, I think, for brands than it has been in years past just because of the rising ad costs and need for profitability. Um, What else are you thinking about in terms of uh, what will sort of lead the Shopify ecosystem through this year? I
2: think that as people are more concerned with just what's happening in the world or even with just their own responsibility, maybe right now everything's Gucci, but they're scared of the future. I think there's going to be a shift into fewer better, which is my favorite way to shop anyways, where maybe you buy fewer things, but you buy things that are built to last or that you've thought more deeply about. And maybe, you know, just like a random ad doesn't get you. You need a recommendation from an influencer that you really trust. But I think that more expensive won't be what breaks brands right now. It'll be brands that don't fulfill on the better part of the fewer better. So I think the brands that have a product that says and does what they say it will do and that is actually quality will make it out of this year even stronger because people will be more trusting to give them their money again. So fewer better is the best way I think to treat a downturn or whatever is going to happen this year because People will still shop. It'll still feel really important to buy things and they'll still have wants and needs, but they don't want to regret the things they bought because life's already hard. Right.
0: Yeah. I I think that hits on a couple really important aspects to a lot of people. And it's not just the, the economics of fewer better. I think it's also like the economic effects of fewer better and the ease of fewer better. Like when you don't have to buy... like. I buy I buy nicer clothes. Like I buy Lulu, Lululemon is my favorite clothing brand and the stuff is expensive, but it lasts forever. Yeah, Cost uh, per
2: wear. I can justify anything. Shoes, you divide it oh, by two. Like it's perfect. So yeah. I think, yeah, I think the Lululemon or the equivalent, or I just bought a pair of leggings from Set Active and I, they're not cheap. They're not expensive. I just bought them because I heard they were amazing. And I think that's why people are going to buy things. It's less price sensitivity and more quality sensitivity, which is like how we should have been running this all along anyways. Like no one should be buying crap. So I'm excited to see the brands that, that put the product first.
0: Yes, absolutely. That's a great one. Um,
1: I also think real quick to add to that, like, I know I've seen um, trends around like decluttering too, like higher quality stuff. Like, I just feel like everyone right now is in that mindset of where it's like, okay, what do I really need? And what do I just have that like, I don't know why I have this or like, I bought it a long time ago. I feel like it also like fewer better also lends itself into that because it's just like, okay, I like the idea of like minimalism or minimalistic, like whether it's something with like furniture or your closet. Yeah. Yeah. Like just having only essential items. And I've also now seen on TikTok of just like de influencing and being yeah, like, you I don't need that. all of these things, like just get these core products that you actually need. Um, and like people being like, this is just like a hot trend, right? Like fast fashion or whatever is going to be dead. I feel like now people are like, okay, go into like lean into what you actually need and what you actually want and what's essential. Love
2: it.
0: Yeah, that's a great point, Mariah. Um, AI is another thing that's come up often when we've asked this question. Are you all at Sharma doing anything with it yet, Uh, or are there ideas floating around about how you might be able to leverage it to do more efficient work or better? What's the general So uh,
2: It's a tricky question. I think there's a place for it, and I think it, it eventually will become even bigger in our current life of what we do, but like we have a client that's a really small team and they are standing up a blog for SEO. And why couldn't the like chat GPT, write Like a thousand articles for them. That would be cool. They don't have to hire someone, but I think that some of our like deepest ad copy or landing page copy, I think we aren't ready to fork that over, but on just like the social side or landing page, like landing page testing of different headlines. How could we rewrite this? I think you could feed it and it just depends on what you feed it. And if you feed it with the right rules, then there's a lot of opportunity. And my husband, he has like a really big newsletter and he will use GBT to help him like make sure that whatever he's saying is clear. And if GBT can spit it out and it makes sense, then he's like, okay, how I input it was clear. So this is good. So maybe he'll take his version, maybe he'll take theirs. Right. But he like, if it, can output what you mean for it to output, then whatever you fed it was correct. So I yeah. think there's a, a stake in that too. And even just add copy and things like that. But I I need to get with the program a little more.
1: <laughs> I like the use case of like using AI as kind of like a spell check. Yeah. <laughs> like or like husband. a subject
2: line test. Yep yeah, it's yeah. It's a good way to expand on something. But I think it's also a good way to be like pretty generic unless you feed it the right things or take it into or take it and don't just give what it spit out as final form and take a spin like with a human on it. But it's definitely a thing. I just need to, to figure out how we can use it in a smarter way.
0: Well, I think, I think the cool thing about that answer is it's like things that brands who are listening could actually implement like today. Yeah, The blog
2: post thing is clutch because no one's reading that. So (laughs) go ahead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. make some keywords and let it fly. Yeah, That's
0: fine. There you go. Um, okay, we're coming up right to time. So, last question: You've obviously had just an awesome career so far, Ari. Um, so, we like to ask, like, what's one tip or trick that you've used throughout it um, to sort of get you to where you are today, and and continues to guide
2: yeah. uh, your work. I am a proud reformed job hopper. So when I was coming up in my career, I worked at four brands in two years, and I am proud of that. And I think that advice would be stick at a brand or stick in a job for, you know, two years and get promoted, but you can do anything you want if it teaches you more and pays you more in the next step. And so I think that you should just like pave your own path and I'm a law school dropout, so I don't mind to quit something if I know something's better for me (laughs) on the other side. So just like, don't be scared to just not do what everyone says you're supposed to do and it will serve you. And just once you find something you like, like just double down on it.
0: Absolutely. Love that. Unconventional advice. I think most- Quit your job. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. bye.
2: Treat me well or bye. Yeah. Yeah. I did
0: a lot of the same. Like I joined Malomo. I've been friends and worked with Yao and Anthony in the past. Um, But so I've been really close to them for a long time. The last job I was at was awesome, but I left after a year because they called and it was a a better opportunity
2: opportunity that hits your heart. It's
1: fine. It'll work out. Ari, I totally thought for a second, I was like, I wonder if Ari's going to say, starting the Twitter, that Nick had said like, so ever long ago, if that was going to be your advice, be like that changed it all.
2: No, well, I, I still to this day, I hate Twitter. I absolutely, I'm one of those people that like puts my thing up and I run away and I don't come back unless I'm checking on it. Like I, if I don't like yourself on Twitter, it's because I haven't seen it. I fully, I don't, I don't want to be there. I just do my thing and I run away and try not to get sucked
1: in. My obligation. I have to do it. This isn't,
2: this isn't sparking joy, but we're going to (laughs) just Deploy and run away, but yeah, Twitter is not a, what I owe my life to. I refuse. I won't give it any credit. Job hopping sounds
1: way more fun. Job <laughs> hopping is honestly,
2: it's worked really well.
1: <laughs> I
0: love that. Great. All right, kids, quit the job.
1: Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Already here first.
0: Thank you so much for joining. Really appreciate it. We we took the whole hour, so it was a great conversation, and really, really appreciate you giving us and and the listeners an hour of your very precious time.
2: Well, thanks for having me. I had a ball and I'm really excited for you guys to do an offsite in Austin and then to move here full-time. So looking forward. Love it. Yes, agreed. All right, bye guys. Thank you. Bye-bye.